Contented Media presents Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, an original podcast series with Mark Hunter and Arthur Van Pelt. Hello and welcome to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto the podcast that spends its days skulking in dark alleys waiting to pounce on any unsuspecting passerby and offering them a choice selection of Craig Wright and BSV news and insight. My name is Mark Hunter, crypto writer, thought leader and former head of the Good Decisions Department at FTX. And with me, as always, is the man who can't wait for Craig Wright to join Sam and Caroline in jail. It's Arthur Van Pelt. Arthur, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm totally fine, uh, Mark. Let's go. Yes, we've got a lot to catch up on, so let's get started. We start, as ever, in Lawsuit Corner, with the fallout from the Hodlinort versus Craig Wright case, a case that, unsurprisingly, the BSV community has tried to sweep under the carpet like a poo your dog has done just as your party guests turn up. As an example of how little the BSV crowd wants to discuss this, CoinGeek alone gave us on average more than one post per day in the 17 days before and during the trial, offering their take on what was going on and pitching Wright as the inevitable winner on almost every single one. This compares to just four posts in the two months since the trial concluded. These included extensions of Wright's disastrous witness testimony gambit, featuring Stephen Matthews and Shoab Yusuf simply reinforcing what they already said on the stand, with no proof whatsoever, and which the judge dismissed. Of course, Wright's camp have vigorously defended him in the wake of the verdict when questioned, with Wright himself telling Edward Snowden of all people that it wasn't the final outcome because an appeal was being filed. As we all know, Wright has taken the same cautious approach with the case against W&K from last year, which is also being appealed, telling everyone that it's too soon to declare victory because the appeal verdict hasn't been reached yet. <clears throat> Calvin Eyre, too, was speeding down the road of denial, telling one critic on Twitter that the Norway case is not over and that inexperienced judge will be overturned. Arthur, just how inexperienced was this judge? This lady, I think her name was Helen Engebrichtsen, was the judge in the Holdnot case. I looked this up, of course, because I didn't know her very well either. But what I found out, she has been a lawyer with Thomason Law Firm from 1999 to 2007. And then she worked at Orkla as a lawyer from 2007 to 2019. And in between, she has been a deputy judge around 2001-2002, and now she's a full-time judge uh, since November 2019. So yeah, if you ask me, she's everything but inexperienced, Mark. She brings over two decades of uh, experience with her. Yeah, I love the fact that Calvin, who has probably never even set foot in Norway, is trying to claim that he knows more about Norwegian law than a judge with over 20 years of experience in Norwegian law. Eyre also showed off more of his legal prowess when he claimed that Judge in GVW in Norway did not have benefit of being able to see volume of evidence I have and got this wrong. Arthur, if the judge didn't have the benefit of being able to see the volume of evidence that Calvin Eyre says he has, whose fault is that? Craig was requested to come up with his best uh, Satoshi evidence. And when Calvin says that uh, there's even better uh, evidence out there, then Craig Wright obviously forgot to use it. 
Naturally, the conspiracy theorists were out in force over the verdict, with one Twitter user saying, unfortunately, the mafia controls the courts across the world, while another added, I'd like to learn more about this Oslo District Court judge. Although a public figure has a defence, Dr Wright should have prevailed, and her ruling is clear, mafia, lawlessness. These suggestions meant that the judge was now either inexperienced or corrupt, or both, which begs the question of why her lack of experience or potential exposure to corruption wasn't brought up before the trial when it could be addressed. Of course, if Wright had won the case, we would have almost certainly seen her heralded as a supremely fair-minded and impartial judge who really understood the case. One respondent to Ayer's tweet about evidence said that Space Cat's strongest evidence was submitted by KPMG. That report will be thrown out of UK and US courts. To which another replied, yes, I think so too. Arthur, two things. Firstly, where do these people get the idea that the KPMG report won't be accepted by the UK court? And secondly, is there any reason why they mentioned the US here in the Hodlinaut case? I think these people are referring to the fact that the Norway KPMG report was criticized by Craig's counsel, that it didn't meet any um, international standards for these type of uh, forensic reports. So they might have a point here when they think it wouldn't be accepted in the UK or in the US. But there's a simple solution to that, uh, of course. Hand the findings of the Norway report to KPMG office in one of the other countries, uh, UK or US, and put it in a wrapper according to those international standards. Solved. <laughs> so, yeah, because the whole thing about these standards is that they, they don't change the findings of backdated fraudulent files that Craig Wright submitted in the, in the Hoddlenaut case. Mm-hmm. Wright's legal team filed the appeal on November the 18th, although this wasn't reported by CoinGeek for another three days, with Hoddlenaut himself breaking the news. Arthur, what did we learn from the appeal filing when we got a chance to read it? Yeah, to be fair, I was not really impressed because it, it's a 100% repeat of uh, Craig Wright's uh, stance, which was already burned down by uh, Judge Engelbrichtsen, but with his critics on A, the judge's assessment of the evidence, and B, her application of law related to the conclusion of the judgment of point one. And point one was about Holden not being acquitted of Craig Wright's claim for compensation. And point two, about Holdenot having no liability towards Craig Wright for damages to his honor or reputation of the verdict. But Holdenot himself announced on Twitter that he had received Craig's appeal and he added, appeals are almost automatically granted here. There will be a new trial. And I found that actually an interesting detail about an appeal leading to a new trial in Norway. But it means also that it's an exhausting procedure for Holdenot, that's for sure. Was there any mention of this new evidence that Calvin Eyre said was going to be um, introduced in the appeal? No, but if there is a new trial, it would not surprise me that it is also possible, and it probably works a little bit different in, in, in Norway, that you can also bring in new evidence or additional evidence. Um, I, I, I wouldn't know, to be honest. News of the appeal was posted by Ontier, which quoted Wright's legal team, Schlert, as saying... The district court is wrong in concluding that such unrelenting and unprovoked attacks against any private individual enjoy protection under freedom of expression provisions. It added that Hoddenort has breached the commonly accepted threshold of decency and respectfulness in public discourse, which apply whether online or in person. 
Schlert also said that Wright had demonstrated in the American, English and Norwegian court that he is Satoshi Nakamoto, adding that we had the opportunity to hear from a number of credible witnesses who testified to Dr. Wright's authorship of the Bitcoin white paper and his creation of Bitcoin. Arthur, on this, I don't remember Wright demonstrating any such thing in the court cases. I remember him saying it, but saying is very different from demonstrating, isn't it? Yeah, same same thing here. I mean, Craig didn't demonstrate anything beyond the average confused Bitcoin fan with added lies about being Satoshi, if you ask me. <laughs> um, and also, we did indeed hear a number of witnesses, credible or otherwise, talking about Wright's endeavours, but none of them offered any eyewitness testimony of him actually having any direct impact on creating Bitcoin. Well, what I noticed, Mark, and, and, and the judge noticed the same was that none of these witnesses had any physical evidence and all these witnesses only heard about Bitcoin and Craig's possible role in uh, in Bitcoin in 2014 or later. So there you go. We also learned something interesting regarding costs in the Hodenort case, which may have a bearing on the outcome of the appeal. Both teams have already spent more than it's possible to win in a defamation case in Norway, resulting in the judge bringing down the cost demands of both sides. We could therefore see the appeal court rule that a retrial is pointless, since either winner will be well out of pocket. Obviously, we'll keep you up to date on the outcome of this appeal. Also this month, three days before recording, thanks Will, we found out some juicy details regarding Wright's bumper case against Kraken and Coinbase for passing off Bitcoin under the ticker BTC. The bulk of the submission is the usual long and rambling essay containing Wright's fanciful and almost entirely fact-free version of Bitcoin's history, which of course claims that BSV is the real chain and that Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash were airdrops. It finally has this to say about Kraken's contention that Bitcoin is BTC. This was an accurate and true statement up until the 2017 airdrop, but not subsequently. In truth, the digital asset being offered under those representations since the 2017 airdrop is Bitcoin Core, BTC. It has different characteristics from the Bitcoin system, was created in 2017, could not have been listed from an earlier date, and is not entitled to claim that heritage. Kraken does not even trade BSV. These are actionable misrepresentations when used to describe BTC and are likely to deceive members of the relevant public in the United Kingdom into thinking that BTC is the Bitcoin system with the Bitcoin characteristics contrary to the fact. At the end of all this, we finally get to what Craig Wright wants from the case. An injunction restraining Kraken from passing off a digital tradable asset as a the digital tradable asset using the Bitcoin system with the Bitcoin characteristics through the use of signs Bitcoin, BTC or BCH or any colourably similar sign. B. Otherwise having the heritage of the Bitcoin system and or having the Bitcoin characteristics. Wright also wants the destruction or delivery up of all goods, materials or articles, including electronic documents and online materials, the use of which would amount to passing off and an inquiry as to damages for passing off. These damages, Wright says, will be in the region of hundreds of billions of pounds. Arthur, this case is the one that Wright talked up a lot last year. What do you make of his claim here? Yeah, (laughs) where to start, Mark? I mean, this claim is too ridiculous to consider even being serious. It's amazing that the court has to look into this uh, matter. 
But on the other hand, it would be interesting to get a legal ruling that uh, Bitcoin with the ticker BTC is indeed Bitcoin and how the judge in such a case uh, determines uh, that in a legal sense. We covered this case in more detail in our August update when it was first filed, but I summarise this as a desperate attempt from Wright and Calvin Ayer to basically take a shortcut and force people to treat BSV as Bitcoin. If you were Kraken, what would your strategy be to tackle this? I think I would bring in the whole history of how Bitcoin worked in 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 a, in a technical sense and in a social sense, and why the ticker BTC uh, remained with uh, the biggest uh, Bitcoin and the and the most adopted Bitcoin that we know uh, these days. And the history is is clear. And here it comes to one of my uh, my slogans or mottos or how you want to call it: Law follows consensus, and not the other way around. So. For me, it's perfectly clear that Bitcoin is BTC, BTC is Bitcoin, and BSV is not. (laughs) What's also interesting is that Coinbase and Kraken are both being sued independently. So I'd imagine the result of the first is going to have a major impact on the second, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Of course, because it are uh, the same the same cases. I think there are several uh, parties being uh, chased for 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 the same thing. I don't know why, because you only need one ruling and that will count for the rest. And why Craig is uh, starting up uh, so many, no idea what his uh, strategy here, to be fair. Kraken, and presumably Coinbase also, had until November 28th to reply, which will have already passed by the time you listen to this, so we'll see what they had to say in return when that becomes available. Well before our monthly recording deadline, thank you. Next month, we will see Wright's appeal against the verdict to dismiss the pineapple hack case debated in a two-day hearing in London. This hearing, scheduled for the 7th and the 8th of December, which sits beautifully within a break in the World Cup, will see legal teams for Wright's company Tulip Trading Limited and the collection of developers Wright sued in 2020 debating whether Justice Falk was right back in March when she said that there was not a serious issue to be tried on the merits of the claim made by Wright. For more details on this, check out our March update. CoinGeek has kept quiet on this case too, only mentioning it once since the verdict to say that the appeal would be heard, and it's tempting to think that its silence reflects its level of confidence, unless Calvin doesn't like reminding people that Craig hasn't won all cases. Of course, one of the reasons CoinGeek may be keeping quiet is that, as many will know, the BSV camp has already achieved one of its primary objectives. On November the 10th, the Bitcoin Association for BSV, or the BSV Association as we call it, unveiled its giant 1960s Bond villain style coin freezing ray that Craig Wright wants to fire at some of the wallets at the heart of the pineapple hack case. This is all being done under the pretense of BSV being the most law-abiding blockchain in the universe, which now has the power to confiscate the coins of anyone holding them on the blockchain. Should some coins prove to be under the illegal stewardship of someone other than the legitimate owner, then the BSV Association will ask the miners to freeze those coins. This is important for Craig Wright, because it means he can simply walk over and grab the coins he says were taken from him during the pineapple hack, knowing that the BSV Association, which settled with Tulip Trading even though it won the case as part of the March verdict, is as likely to object to Wright's request as a North Korean peasant would be if Kim Jong-un suddenly showed up and asked for a foot massage. Obviously, it's more complex than this, but not much. When Wright lost his case against the developers, pending appeal of course, he could no longer rely on the court order he had been shouting about for years that would be needed to secure a coin move. 
As an indication of just how keen the BSV Association was to get down on one knee and pull off Kim's dusty brogues, however, they suddenly changed the rules. Arthur, what was the BSV Association pivot here? Yeah, I remember they mumbled something about a court order or a document of comparable power or comparable force or something like that. But there are no such documents, so yeah, they will use this phrase to come up with all kinds of excuses around documents with lower power than a court order, like maybe a police report or a contract or something like that. At least that's what I expect. Yeah, this incredibly vague and utterly meaningless phrase actually throws up many more questions than it answers, but not from the BSV community, who don't seem to be bothered about it. We, on the other hand, who can see this sham for the power and coin grab that it is, have lots of questions. What is a document of comparable force? Who's going to judge? Will backdated photoshops of paper wallets be accepted as proof? At this point, it's worth going back to the official wording from the BSV Association on this matter. The Bitcoin Association for BSV will use its reasonable endeavours to find a suitable legal entity willing to operate the notary tool on the BSV network and provide details of such an entity on its website. With the tool having gone live, I scoured the BSV Association website for the name of this chosen legal entity, seeing as they're about to get inundated with one email from Craig Wright regarding his hacked coins, but I couldn't find one. So I emailed them. No response. So I sent them a DM on Twitter. No response. It's almost like they don't want to say. The unwrapping of the freeze ray itself happened on November the 11th with the release of BSV's latest client 1.0.13 which included support for the data asset recovery alert. Calvin Eyre claimed that this was the original design of Bitcoin being released, but Arthur, I've looked through the original Bitcoin code and I just can't see any mention of a data asset recovery alert in the first download. Am I not looking in the right place? The BSV camp is mentioning something about this alert key, eh, which was a feature that was disabled in 2016, and something about transactions that can have an op return reference to a court order to make it appear that reassigning uh, UTXOs was embedded in Bitcoin's original design. But what the BSV camp won't mention, though, uh, is the real history of this alert key. Allow me to quote uh, the Bitcoin uh, wiki. What do they say? The alert system was hastily implemented by Satoshi Nakamoto after the value overflow incident on August the 15th of 2010. Satoshi never actually used the system. It remained dormant until the February 20, 2012 protocol change, for which an alert was issued on February the 18th. So in 2016, the alert system was retired because of the possibility of privileged users sending political alert messages and because of the possibility of the alert key having been taken from Mark Karpolis by the Japanese police in 2014. So as far as I know, this hastily introduced alert key system was used about uh, a dozen times for the purpose it was introduced, broadcast, urgent, software upgrade notices, and hardly anything else. It was never intended to be used as part of a system to reassign Bitcoin to other people. And it was actually shelved for the exact same reason that PSV is introducing it again. Yeah, so here's what Satoshi said when he introduced the alert key in August 2010. In cases like the overflow bug or fork where users may not be able to trust received payments, the alert should keep old versions mostly safe until they upgrade. Someday, when we haven't found any new bugs for a long time, and it has been thoroughly security reviewed without finding anything, this can be scaled back. 
I'm not arguing that this is the permanent way of things forever. It's still beta software. Compare this to what CoinGeek says the alert was for. Dr. Craig Wright has stated in recent years that the alert key system was actually necessary for Bitcoin to function legally. Protocol developers, he said, should use the key to notify the network that particular UTXOs or transactions should be frozen if there was a court order to do so. And now compare this to what Wright himself said about the alert key in April this year. The developers removed the alert key. The developers removed a mechanism that allowed for recovery, calling it a bug, and did not replace or fix it. This is harm. And, despite my wanting certain things, they were not done. Arthur, in December 2010, about three months after the alert key was added, a notable Bitcoin developer did, in fact, remove one element of the alert key. Who was it? <laughs> yeah, a notable developer, he calls it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yes, indeed. It, it was Satoshi Nakamoto himself who removed uh, the safe mode alerts. And in his own words on the Bitcoin forum, on December 12, 2010, Satoshi Nakamoto said, Safe mode alerts was a temporary measure, temporary, after the 0.39 overflow bug. We can say all we want that users can just run with disable safe mode, which is some kind of a setting, but it's better just not to have it for the sake of appearances. It was never intended as a long-term feature. So here you go, Mark. <laughs> this is Satoshi Nakamoto himself. So here's Craig Wright seemingly forgetting that he himself supposedly took out part of the code in December 2010 and then complaining that the alert key was disabled six years later exactly as Satoshi wanted. Incidentally, he didn't complain when it actually was removed and was perfectly happy to launch BSV without the alert key in place, making it, in his words, complicit with money laundering. Now, it's clear to anyone reading Satoshi's words around this time that the alert key was only necessary while Bitcoin was new and was at the risk of critical bugs, which makes absolute sense because it came after the overflow bug, after which it could be scaled back and it was never intended to be a permanent solution. There's no mention of freezing coins and certainly no mention of court orders from anyone in the threads discussing this topic on Bitcoin Talk back then, either during its implementation or its removal. It's simply never mentioned, but CoinGeek has an explanation for this. The alert key as a UXTO freezing mechanism wasn't discussed in the developers' conversations surrounding its removal. Such a notion would have damaged the false belief that Bitcoin is somehow censorship resistant, which has become gospel in the user community over the years. Arthur, this is clearly just CoinGeek changing history to suit its narrative. The idea of coins being seized through the alert key wasn't discussed because it was simply never on the table. These guys were smart. They would have realised at once if this was the true intention, wouldn't they? Yeah. Nailed it, Mark. Uh, that's exactly the reason the alert key system was never meant for this freezing and uh, recovering thing. And let's not forget that one of the people CoinGeek says was blinded by this idea of Bitcoin being non-confiscatable was Satoshi Nakamoto, i.e. Craig Wright, the man who now loudly proclaims that he always meant for Bitcoin to be law-abiding, but that he was overridden and hounded out. So, which is it? Was he lying to the developers about his intentions behind implementing the alert key? Did he not realise that when it launched without it, Bitcoin was open to being used for money laundering? And if this was the case, why did he say it should be removed later on, once Bitcoin was more secure? 
And if he really was bothered by the criminal angle if it was ever to be removed, how was he going to deal with people demanding its removal years down the line? Because he suggested that is exactly what should happen. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> this is one of a long, long list of Craig Wright's cell phones, uh, Mark. Cell phones in which he uh, yeah, completely contradicts uh, everything that Satoshi stood for or had literally different ideas about. You want to hear another one of those cell phones, Mark? Of course, of course. Here's another example. Craig once said uh, during an interview with Cointelegraph, there is not a single Satoshi post that mentions decentralization. Ever. And then we go check the Satoshi post from uh, Bitcoin's early days on the, the P2P Foundation Forum. And what can we see uh, Satoshi right there? You guessed it, Mark. I've developed a new open-source P2P e-cash system called Bitcoin. It's completely decentralized. <laughs> so he did say it. <laughs> With no central server or trusted parties, because everything is based on crypto proof instead of trust. And furthermore, he said on that same forum, a lot of people automatically dismiss e-currency as a lost cause because of all the companies that failed since the 1990s. I hope it's obvious it was only the centrally controlled nature of those systems that doomed them. I think this is the first time we're trying a decentralized, here we go again, <laughs> non-trust-based system. So yeah, hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> and I have collected a few handfuls of those uh, cell phones, Mark. How does the BSV crowd respond to these? Have you seen anything online to see what, what they say when these are pointed out? Yeah, I, I tried discussing those cell phones uh, of, of several types and including the one that you just uh, mentioned with a few BSV fans. And you can always notice they will always fall back immediately on Craig Wright himself. Yeah, he already explained it or he already debunked it, your old news and things like that. They, hmm. they try to avoid thinking by themselves and quickly, yeah bring in Craig Wright. He, he's always right. So lastly, on this alert key, is it really feasible then to believe that Craig Wright in 2010 implemented the alert key purely to make Bitcoin seizable through a court order, fooled the Bitcoin developers into thinking it was to protect the network, hoping none of them would realise it could lead to coins being seized, and now suddenly says it was his intention all along? No, that is absolutely not feasible at all, uh, of course. This is instead something that Craig Wright came up uh, with on the fly when he was looking for a solution for his problem, that he never had any Bitcoin uh, under his control uh, at all. Meanwhile, he is claiming to be Satoshi with around a million uh, Bitcoin tokens uh, that he doesn't have access to. So when he, that's how I went, I think, he, he studied uh, the features of Bitcoin in, in the past and in the present, and he found out that the alert key system could well, maybe be used, or let's say abused in his case, hmm. for his plan how to obtain the Bitcoin that he falsely claims to own. Like the Bitcoin on the one fix address, and ultimately he, uh, he wants to put his fingers on the, on the Satoshi stash, of course. The implementation of the coin seizure tool was announced by the BSV Association, which called it an innovative node update that would boost property rights. The very creation of this tool seems to be at odds with the concept of property rights, however, given that its code was allegedly taken without permission or credit by a coder who submitted it as part of a 2021 BSV hackathon. 
the individual claimed last month that his company, BSVCA, came up with the tool and submitted it to the hackathon, where the code was stolen by the BSV Association and later appeared on GitHub with no credit to him or his company. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the contributor said such actions were not new and that this was not the first time something like this had happened with BSV, which is incredibly ironic given Craig Wright's hatred of people using his intellectual property without his consent. The BSV Association's Director of Engineering, Jad Wahab, said in the announcement of the tool that it was not built for people who are looking to recover small amounts of funds. No shit. While the Bitcoin SV YouTube channel put out a handy guide which explains what has to happen in order to get coins frozen and returned. The first step of the digital asset freezing process is obtaining a court order or a document of equivalent legal force. It is up to the owner to initiate a legal process to establish the ownership of coins they deem to be rightfully theirs. In step two, the plaintiff commissions a notary who can operate a notary tool. The notary converts the court order into a machine-readable format and transmits it to the mining network. When a notary is satisfied that enough miners have confirmed the freeze order, it activates a consensus freeze order. Arthur, this is problematic for BSV because in a truly decentralised system, miners are their own people and they can make decisions for themselves. So how can we be sure that the BSV network will get enough miners to agree on the particular coin freeze, such as Craig Wright's? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the majority of, of uh, the BSV mining rigs, they are in the direct or sometimes indirect control of Kelvin related entities. So yeah, add one-on-one -on -one here, Mark. One thing I do like about this podcast is being able to ask completely sarcastic questions. Calvin Air celebrated the launch of this tool by saying that such a system would be mandated globally soon and that enterprises and governments will not use a system that does not have this. Okay, so let's imagine for a moment that the UK government rules that blockchains which don't have a notary tool in place are banned until they get one. So Bitcoin is banned and in response, the developers deploy a notary tool that fulfills the criteria and it gets unbanned. I get a court order saying a bunch of Bitcoin was stolen from me and I send it to the notary tool. What power does my court order have over miners in Kazakhstan, Russia or the US? Well, none, Mark. None, none whatsoever. Because that's the point here. BSV goes against what I would call, yeah, earlier in, 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 in this episode I, I mentioned it also, law follows consensus and not the other way around. So there's no court order that is uh, globally enforceable. So in the Bitcoin, eh, the real one, infrastructure, they will no doubt giggle about it and ignore it. Now, leading on from this is something that we didn't get a chance to discuss seeing as we were off last month, the empty block miner. Arthur, seeing as we've had a bit of distance from this now, could you please bring us up to speed with this empty block miner story? Oh yeah, I can. I was actually, uh, I think, one of the first uh, to bring that news. And uh, it got quite the attention more than I thought. It happened halfway October. Huh? We started noticing that a mining pool called Mempool was almost exclusively mining empty blocks on the, BS, uh, on the BSV chain. And because they started pushing a lot of hash power to BSV, they quickly, I think it was around 80% of the, of the total hash power they had, disrupting the BSV network that struggled to get transactions confirmed. Because yeah, if you have only... Uh, 
empty blocks, no transaction gets confirmed, of course. Mm -hmm. So Robinhood and others, uh, they even halted uh, processing BSV. And this enraged uh, the BSV camp. They threatened with lawsuits and freezing actions. But so far, nothing came from that, uh, as far as I know. By now, things have uh, settled down a bit. The empty blocks pool slowly lowered uh, the hashing influence on uh, BSV to less than 10%. And good old Taal is now back to 62% uh, last time I checked. <laughs> what I find interesting about this is that it's led to a bigger split in the BSV ecosystem than I can remember, uh, purely because of the way Craig Wright and Calvin Air have handled it. Prior to this event, what was Craig Wright's stance on mining empty blocks? Yeah, don't be surprised. I mean, in, in it was in November 2018 in, in, a, in a blog post when uh, our friend Craig said that uh, mining an empty chain, such as on ABC, is part of the protocol. In fact, you are breaking the rules expecting a miner to mine your transaction. Any validation is a contract. A miner can set the fees to any amount they desire and reject all other transactions. This is defined in the original Bitcoin white paper. Now, and, and that was uh, supported by uh, some, something that he said in his uh, Slack room also, because he, uh, he said, empty blocks are fine, killing a chain, legal. <laughs> so here Craig uh, has absolutely no issues uh, mining empty blocks. Okay, and what did he say when someone actually started mining empty blocks on BSV? Well, on October the 18th, uh, that's when uh, Craig tweeted something about the situation, huh? when the empty blocks miners uh, started to grab uh, the attention of the BSV community. Then Craig said, a miner who creates empty blocks is not conducting any proof of work. Therefore, they are cheating and outside of the rules. Note, do not set policy. There is this error within the Bitcoin community that think nodes and others own Bitcoin. They do not. Now, yeah, this, uh, as you can see, Mark, this, this went totally against his previous uh, statements. Mm -hmm. And Craig then tried a new narrative that mining empty blocks to kill a chain was only meant for Bitcoin forks like ABC. And for Bitcoin itself, it was illegal. And that nuance was, of course, still not working. As he said in 2018, a miner can set the fees to any amount they desire and reject all other transactions. This is defined in the original Bitcoin white paper. <laughs> and guess what happened? Craig started blocking anyone on Twitter who pointed out this uh, discrepancy to him. Shock horror. <laughs> the fallout did indeed cause a rift in the BSV camp, with some saying that mining empty blocks and keeping the rewards was theft, while others said that this is basically what BSV has been asking for by making the changes that it has, and that someone is just using the system as it is intended. This led to some of the BSV Dream Team falling foul of the new direction, with the mining pool owned and run by our good friend Kurt Vuckert Jr. tweeting that Empty Blocker is an unpleasantry, but he's an unpleasantry that has done nothing but show how much harder we need to work to secure our network. That's on us. We need to get better. Our purpose has always been to secure BSV and provide competition to help all of us get better. As we've already alluded to, the situation also saw right acolytes being blocked when they simply asked him to clarify his position, and others very nearly coming to the conclusion that we have many times in the past. Craig Wright will always find an excuse to backtrack on a previous comment if it aligns with his current theory. How these BSV people are supposed to keep up I don't know. One of these days they're going to have to go out and get some of their own opinions. 
The empty block miner led to congestion on the network that primes itself on instant transactions, with some users complaining that it took hours for their transactions to go through. No doubt CryptoFight's five users also had to do something else with their day. Now, do you think this was a financial enterprise, or as the BSV conspiracy theorists had it, someone was trying to attack the network? Mining a massive amount of uh, empty blocks each day, they bring in a lot of uh, block subsidies, and without having to spend energy on mining transactions. So it's my impression that uh, Mempool is using an uh, algorithm that is calculating the profitability of mining BSV on the go. So hence you could see them mining BSV on certain parts of the day and other parts of the days they would not mine. So Mempool, they come and they go and they come and they go in an automated uh, process that is tracking uh, the profitability of mining BSV. But um, yeah, due to how they are using their mining algorithm and purposely only mined empty blocks on the BSV network, it appeared as an attack anyway. Their way of mining BSV, initially with a lot of hash power pushing away other miners like uh, Tal and Gorilla Pool and others, making parties like Robinhood uh, halting old BSV uh, deposits and withdrawals, it, it appeared very aggressive. But yeah, Mark, as you call it, it's a financially driven uh, enterprise after all, I think. Among the theories presented was one absolute doozy from one oxygen thief on Twitter, which came out a day or so before the Hodlanot versus Wright verdict. My theory on malicious empty block miner disrupt BSV network to the degree that people can't cash out from Craig winning Hodlanort trial. Robinhood has halted deposits and withdrawals, other exchanges following suit. Meanwhile, empty block miner will have 10,000 plus BSV to dump. I knew these people liked a conspiracy theory, but man! Interestingly, one theory that wasn't put forward, which didn't make any sense to me, was that the digital currency group was sponsoring the empty block miner. Many BSV supporters are strong believers that corporations like this are now running Bitcoin and are doing everything in their power to cripple BSV and Bitcoin as well, but that's a different story, by paying people to badmouth it on Reddit and Twitter. However, as we've said before, all these companies would have to do is spend a little over $2,000 an hour to 51% attack the BSV network and bring it to its knees, at least in the short term. And yet, in five years, they have never done this. But could the empty block miner have been their first attempt at actually undermining the blockchain? Surprisingly, this theory hasn't apparently been put forward by anyone in the BSV camp, which suggests that perhaps it's not taken as seriously as that after all. On the subject of BSV mining, there was an interesting development with the BSV's principal miner, Tal, this month. It was made private and taken off the Canadian Stock Exchange. Tal made this shock announcement on November the 2nd, having endured a massive slump in its stock price this year, going from 4 Canadian dollars in March to just 75 cents prior to the announcement. Given Tal's almost incestuous relationship with BSV, it was no surprise to learn that the new owner of Tal is Calvin Eyre, who bought it out for the princely sum of 26 million Canadian dollars. Now Eyre, who as we know is never short of a tweet, has only posted once about the deal, four days after it was announced, to say that Tile shareholders have a 40% premium to market and can reinvest directly into BSV tokens for similar upside potential as directly correlated Tile from a larger base. Everyone should be better off than before, including the company itself, which is good for the entire BSV ecosystem. Of course, this premium to market, which was the result of Air buying the company out at one Canadian dollar per share, would only apply if you'd bought the absolute bottom in the week before the announcement. The last time Tile was at this price was one day in June 2017. If you had bought Tile at any other time in its seven and a half years on the Canadian Stock Exchange, you were out of pocket. 
the response from the Tal and BSV community was not good. A subreddit set up exclusively for Tal, why, had just two respondents to the news, one of which was a complaint that Calvin Air and Tal management absolutely screwing shareholders with the buyout at this price, while the BSV Reddit group wasn't any cheerier. Respondents there complained of being forced to sell at a 78% loss, while another admitted, think I bought the high on that one. Another, more enlightened soul responded that this is a way to cover up that Tal have basically gone bankrupt. One particularly impassioned, read bankrupt, supporter summed it up nicely by saying that what Calvin has done is essentially make BSV one of the most centralised currencies there is. There's more to the Tal story than meets the eye, however, and it gives a good insight into how Calvin Air operates. The bones of this story were provided by someone who goes by the name of Adrian X on Reddit, someone who is actually pro-BSV, which is what makes the story so interesting and also shows that this isn't simply anti-Craig propaganda put about by an angry Redditor. As Arthur said, the story of Tal begins with Squire Mining, an actual mining company which was formed back in 2011, although it never seems to have actually mined anything. In August 2018, Squire changed its business to mining Bitcoin, for which you wouldn't have thought it was that well suited, but the news sent the Squire share price rocketing from $3 to $8.20. Two months later, all the pieces fell into place when CoinGeek, which at this point was still involved in cryptocurrency mining, Craig Wright and the rest of the gang began trumpeting Squire as the creator of a next generation mining chip that would make Bitmain's chips obsolete. CoinGeek said it had ordered a bunch, with delivery due in 2019, marking an incredible reversal in fortunes for Squire, from a never actually mining mining company to the creator of the next generation of Bitcoin mining chips. In November 2018, when Squire was supposed to be making this new chip, it bought 62,440 Ant-Miner S9 mining rigs from CoinGeek for over 60 million Canadian dollars as well as a stock deal, with the purchase being described by one observer, Thus, that's essentially CoinGeek loaning Squire the money used to buy their own company. When the sale is complete, Calvin Eyre will own 53% of Squire's stock, which means he's the new owner of Squire. Squire will also change its name to CoinGeek Technologies. Overall, this looks like CoinGeek is buying Squire, but doing it so it appears to be happening the other way round. These Antminer S9s had already been out for a year, making them, in Adrian X's words, obsolete, with Air seemingly making a killing on the deal for these out-of-date machines. A month later, Squire got three new board members, Stephen Matthews, Craig Wright and Jimmy Wynn, who CoinGeek called the best and brightest from the industry. They can't have been that great at their jobs, however, because a month after this, in January 2019, Squire's CEO and director Taras Kuluk quit when the Bitmain killing ASIC chip was found to be absolutely useless. Later that year, to complete the deal that everyone knew was in place anyway, Squire announced a rebrand to Tal, four months after signing a Continuous Development and Services Agreement with Enchain. Nothing much happened with Tal during the bear market, although it's worth noting that CoinGeek stopped mining BSV in April 2020, and a month later, Air bought another 9.2 million Tal shares and joined his old friends on the board, proving that you really can get the band back together. The Tal share price rocketed from $1.40 to $8.80 in early 2021, along with the whole crypto market, causing many BSV fans to buy Tal shares, thinking they were going to benefit from both the rise in BSV and the mining of it, at which point, Adrian X says, Air sold a bunch of his Tal stock, based on press releases that showed a 15% decrease in the amount of stock he owned after it had topped out. 
Air then spent 18 months watching the share price go right down from $8.80 to just 75 cents before snapping up the rest of the shares and taking the company private this month. Arthur, there doesn't seem to be anything illegal in all this, at least nothing that I can pick up on, but the amount of inside dealing plus the old boys network making up the board and the general way it's been handled, it just stinks, doesn't it? Yeah, it, 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 it sort of stinks uh, indeed, especially the number of managers and, and board members and their salaries uh, eating up uh, any revenue that Tal uh, generates is a modus operandi of many years already. CEOs of Tal, they come and go, and before you learn to know them. And the overall direction of Tal is changing about every year also. Uh, yeah, for example, by now they have made the transition from being uh, a BSV-only miner to, as they advertise themselves uh, to job seekers, a cutting-edge technology corporation driving global adoption of blockchain services while having already established ourselves as the world leader in Bitcoin mining. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, laughable. <laughs> I mean, knowing that they hardly have any customers and they are on the brink of going bankrupt. It's also worth bearing in mind here that Calvin Air took Tal off the stock exchange with no notice, presumably after discussing it with various BSV insiders, leaving shareholders with no option but to sell and crystallise their losses. And he did this right at a time when he's sponsoring a near £10 billion lawsuit against exchanges who, with no notice and allegedly after insider collusion, took BSV off exchanges. Amazing. We end this month with one result of the Hodlinaut case that was most unexpected, the introduction into Craig Wright's life of Christian Agar Hansen, a figure who, it seems, is going to have quite a big part to play in the Craig Wright saga going forward. Arthur, what do we know of this guy and how did he become involved in the fake Toshi saga? A while ago, a Canadian journalist contacted me and we have been emailing back and forth for a bit. And at some point he sent me an email and it described uh, the whole situation quite well. So allow me to, uh, to quote what he, what he wrote to me. He, this uh, journalist means uh, Kristen, of course, he has a long history of skillfully using other people to create the appearance of success and using it to manipulate people and markets. He did this in the dot-com era when he tricked a Norwegian newspaper into naming him the richest man in the nation based upon unaudited statements of a smoke and mirrors firm that had attracted some of London's top players and used them as window dressings. More recently, in Sweden, a few years before the pandemic, he came out of the shadows and defended a billionaire banker against criminal and civil charges of financial wrongdoing. He did this by using hidden recorders and cameras to gain information on prosecutors and others, including a documentary producer, that could be used to create a narrative that discredited the billionaire's enemies. He then convinced the billionaire to invest in an... uh, in a media empire and somehow managed to take it away for a dollar. Insiders won't go into details, but they report the billionaire regrets ever trusting him. After using the billionaire to acquire a high-profile Swedish media empire, which soon went bankrupt, Hmm. he invested in a failing British media empire that was about to restructure, using a depressed share price to become a major shareholder and then convinced many other stakeholders that he was a wildly successful visionary who could save the company despite never having a credible plan. Hmm. This created havoc for the real managers, but tons of publicity for Eger Hansen's 
venture capitalist firm, while it was fishing for entrepreneurs willing to give him stakes in their businesses in return for nothing more than his guidance as a visionary venture capitalist. Today, while being treated like a billionaire peer by Calvin, Agar Hansen is actively promoting himself in the Algorand community, seeking businesses willing to trade equity stakes in return for his brilliance. So far for what this journalist uh, told me. Now this does sound like someone who is immediately attracted to the BSV environment, uh, doesn't it Mark? Well, we've got bankruptcy, uh, bluff, lies, um, scams, I think so. Fits the bill perfectly. Yes, that's what I thought too. <laughs> in late October, Aga Hansen revealed in a tweet thread how he became a Craig Wright disciple. He says he met Wright for the first time in June 2022, where, after spending many hours in his company, he found Wright to be a multifaceted genius that everyone hates because they envy his abilities. <sighs> he went on to say that he believes Wright is Satoshi because he has the perfect DNA to be Satoshi, whatever the hell that means, before announcing, amazingly, that he's going to research all the aspects and all the stakeholders in this fascinating saga, adding that, my verdict and report will be filed 23-59-2022, adding a quote from Henrik Ibsen, the majority is always wrong, the minority is rarely right. When asked if he would be fair in his report, Aga Hansen said, I have nothing invested in BSV or BTC and will be open-minded. However, just three weeks later, we got news of an interesting appointee to the N-Chain board. Arthur, who could this possibly have been? That will be our friend uh, Christian Agar Hansen again, Mark, because he was the one uh, becoming uh, CEO of uh, Enchain, no less. Yes, Agar Hansen was indeed appointed CEO of Enchain and quickly proved his credentials by giving us his first self-own. Just days after saying he had nothing invested in BSV or BTC, he tweeted to say that the only thing I'm heavily investing in within the industry is the ecosystem of BSV and that Bitcoin will be trading at $5,000 within a year because of its lack of utility. Aga Hansen also revealed what he'll be doing for Enchain, and his role is particularly timely given what's coming down the pipeline. To be very clear, my role is to monetize our unique patent portfolio of 2,800 registered patents and aggressively expanding our ecosystem, with the aim to become number one in the industry and the fastest business in the world to reach $1 trillion in market value. Well, he's going to have one hell of a job. In 2020, legal analysis firm Lexology said that the N-Chain blockchain patent portfolio has a technical relevance score of zero compared to Microsoft's 0.32, Intel's 0.46 and IBM's 1.06, with the score of one being above average. Now, it's also worth noting here that Aga Hansen is also revered within the BSV community for being the man who recorded Karl Roche making an arse of himself back in August, and many have perceived this job as a thank you for a job well done. Arthur, do you think there's any connection here, or is he simply the best man for the job out of all the candidates that Enchain must have been looking at for the job of Enchain Global CEO? No, this is a typical case of the old boys uh, network uh, passing along uh, well-paid jobs uh, between each other for services given, uh, Mark. It's nothing else. Yeah, indeed. It certainly is. So 
Mr. Christian is going to be involved in monetizing the patent farm that N-Chain has been cultivating over the years, although whether this means anything more than him forking out for lawsuits against perceived infringers is yet to be known. But what I and many others find interesting is that he is a backer and a huge proponent of the blockchain Algorand. Now, given that BSV wants to subsume all blockchains and says it's the best one out there, do you perceive a potential conflict of interest down the road here? <laughs> yeah. well, some questions don't need an answer, Mark. <laughs> of course, this is a conflict. It's a massive conflict of interest. I get the feeling he's just going to dump Algorand this month. It will take, in a few weeks, he'll be dismissing he ever knew what it was. Probably, yeah. Also, how open-minded do you think he's going to be in his research into whether Craig Wright is Satoshi, given that he publicly stated in the same thread as he announced his research that Craig Wright is Satoshi? Well, Mark, I'm 1,000% sure that Kristen is not open-minded in the slightest. He actually blocked me on Twitter when I showed him a self-made image with quotes from two decades of court rulings, like Dr. Wright willfully created the fraudulent documents, or um, uh, Dr. Wright committed perjury in my presence. On another occasion, several occasions actually, I pointed him to my Medium blog uh, with uh, with my handfuls of articles. He blocked me for that. I mean, he could use it for his research, and he should. <laughs> Kristen blocked me. And yeah, that is uh, giving me a signal that he is not uh, taking me very seriously. So... Kristen is 100% biased into one direction. He's not looking to debunk any of my material. Calvin Eyre, for one, is very happy with how things are looking for BSV, thanks to Wright's appeal being lodged and Aga Hansen being appointed, saying, Craig will win this now, where have we heard that before? And then this, combined with Christian joining Enchain and Latif pushing BSV IPv6 integration, will start a wave. Soon, it will all be moot, as Enchain IP will rule it all just as Satoshi intended. Aga Hansen has already shown how good his judgement of people is when he announced his support for Liz Truss as UK Prime Minister, so let's see how his support of Craig Wright goes. Arthur, before we go, I think we need to acknowledge something quite important here. This episode marks the one-year anniversary of Dr Bitcoin. Our first episode went out on November the 5th, 2021. Don't think about uh, Bitcoin's price back then. Three months after, it was famously called Illegal by Calvin Ayer. Now, in that time, we've gone from reaching a few hundred to a few thousand people every month, which for me is pretty impressive considering this project was a proper grassroots operation between us two. And we've never done anything like this before. And especially considering we were going up against the likes of CoinGeek and Calvin Ayer's millions. How would you sum up your experience of doing this podcast for the last 12 months? Well, for me, it has been an amazing ride, Mark. It, I mean, I had no idea beforehand that simply telling the Craig Wright story, yeah, like uh, reporting about the many court cases that he's involved with, and yeah, his uh, general uh, failures on uh, on Twitter and in his uh, Slack room, it, that it could be so much fun. I think we team up very well. Eh? We never have uh, disagreements about something. And as long as we keep writing and recording, uh, we will continue with this. And eventually I can see this go somewhere, like like a book or maybe even a book series about this uh, saga. It just needs to be told. Two words. When Netflix. <laughs> yeah. One day we'll get there. It, that would be the ultimate, wouldn't it? Yes, certainly.
Of course, none of this would be worth doing if it wasn't for the passion and enthusiasm shown by you, our listeners, who continue to help us push this series. Over the past year, you've helped us in a myriad of ways, including signing up to the Supporters Club, helping us with research, helping us set up the website, liking and retweeting, or simply just listening to us. We massively appreciate all your support, and if you think we're worthy of a rating or a review wherever you watch and listen, that would be the icing on the cake. Assuming we don't get shut down before then, hopefully we'll be repeating this message in 2023, when also hopefully Bitcoin's price will be a little bit higher. That's it for this month's update. We'll be back next month with our final update of the year, while members of the Dr. Bitcoin Supporters Club can also enjoy our Dr. Bitcoin Unscripted end-of-year review show, where we'll run through our highlights of 2022, as well as the results of Calvin Ayer's 2022 predictions, which are every bit as bad as you would imagine. To hear this and all other bonus material, as well as getting these monthly updates a few days early, you can sign up for the Dr. Bitcoin Supporters Club through our website, drbitcoinpod.com, where you can also buy bonus episodes for a small consideration. If you're not bothered about any of this, but you want to say thank you to us, you can also send us donations in crypto or any fiat currency also through the website. Arthur, as ever, thank you for your thoughts and your insight both today and for the past 12 months. You're welcome, Mark. It was and it is and no doubt will ever be a pleasure. Same here and I will see you next month for our final episode of 2022. Cheers, Mark. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. If you enjoyed what you heard, we'd really appreciate a rating or even a quick review on your platform of choice in order to get this out to as many people as possible. For early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content, please consider becoming a supporter through Patreon or Anchor. See the details in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your chosen platform in order to get new episodes the moment they drop. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter for podcast announcements and other nonsense, you'll find us at DrBitcoinPod. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you again soon. You've been listening to Dr. Bitcoin. The Man Who Wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Written by Mark Hunter, with additional material by Arthur Van Pelt. Editing and production by Mark Hunter. This has been a Contented Media Production.